Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Today we'll be discussing all of the action from match day 29. We do have a bit of clarity at who could be going at least into the top three, whilst it is still an absolute mess as for those teams jostling to get out of the bottom three as well. Alongside me, as always, to discuss all the action from the weekend is the one and only Eva Lotta Bola. Eva, good morning to you. First of all, how are things? Um, it obviously was a difficult weekend for our clubs in particular, but in terms of the league, we saw some really good games, and, and the first game in particular that we're going to talk about, which should come to no surprise to anybody, um, was an epic encounter of one where some people in particular were very upset. They let their feelings known, and I think over the course of the uh, hour and 20 minutes that we talk, some feelings are going to be let known about how we feel about things from the league's perspective. Um, it's, it was a very nice uh, way of introducing uh, Regensburg against Kaiserslautern. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> very great. Obviously, that's okay. We're going to talk about first. <laughs> no. Um, all matters beside, obviously, um, I can already say this. Uh, first of all, I'm meh. I'm okay. I want April to have April temperatures outside because it's freezing. It's like four degrees. There was ice on the car windows this morning why weather stop this please um but obviously uh when we talk about derbies there's always huge expectations and we've seen in the past that those expectations are not always met uh, i think in this case not only on the scoreboard but in general the game was packed was a good football game to watch it wasn't just okay each uh, each side scored and nobody really knows why but it was actually because two good teams were clashing on each other um and obviously with the better end for one of the teams but i think still this was one of the best derbies i've seen in the past five years yeah so often is the case when you get a derby game um it's nil nil both teams are trying not to lose it's really tight and Hamburg as well and St. Pauli on Friday night was anything but that. Um, <clears throat> the big contentious point in this game came early in the first half when Dapo Affeline thought he had scored the opening goal after dispossessing uh, Mulheim in defence. However, the goal was taken away because Mulheim, well, he, he touched, there was a bit of contact with Mulheim's head. I, my, I understand the rule. I get it. However, it wasn't malicious, unintentional, and to be honest, Muheim, who was who's relatively clumsy in general, kind of runs into his elbow. I wouldn't have given personally. I wouldn't have given a, a foul. I would have called. It would have been a good goal, but that's just me. Um, they did get their goal that they deserved early in the fir- in the first half because um, on thirty six minutes, uh, Saint Pauli caught Hamburg on the break, and it was uh, Manilas. 
Saliakis to score his fourth goal to squeeze the ball past Daniel Hoyer-Fernandez. Hamburg would then turn the screws, and just before halftime, they would equalise. Really well-worked goal as they sort of stretched the St. Pauli defence, who was sitting quite deep, and Jonas David with an absolute belter from outside the box to make the scores level at the break. Hamburg continued this momentum into the second half. Goals from Bakary Yatta and Moritz Heyer made it 3-1 just after seven minutes of normal time in the second half, and it certainly seemed as if Big Brother was once again going to get one over its little brother. St. Pauli did get a goal back through Elias Saad to score his first goal for St. Pauli, but then an own goal from Yakov Medic just seven minutes later almost put the game to bed. However, that was shortly lived when Marcel Hartl's corner was headed home by Jackson Irvine, and your final score was four goals to three. Hamburg, in particular, were the biggest winners, not just in terms of the results in general, but they have a nine-point gap to Paderborn in fourth place, meaning with with five games remaining, they are in an incredible position to, at the very least, make the playoffs once again. This was a massive game, high emotion, high intensity. One team in particular was was not particularly pleased with how the game was officiated. Sporting director Andreas Bornemann of St. Pauli said, in tight games like this, good refereeing is part of it. I had the feeling that the that the well-known tight decisions weren't necessarily made in our favor. That was one of many quotes that was made from St. Pauli personnel post-game. And it's always tough in these games because they're high pressure. These are almost like finals in their own right. And they did have FIFA referee Sven Jablonski in charge of this game, who, for the most part, managed the, to, to calm the game down. But there were some potentially questionable decisions that... I wouldn't have said altered the outcome of the game, but certainly were, you know, worthy of more reviewing potentially. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to say that um, in general, Sven, Sven Jablonski is one of the best referees we have in German football for me. Um, he's, I, I personally normally like his way of officiating. Um, but yeah, obviously, if you have, that kind of scene very early on in the game and I, I think the the biggest problem is is that he blows the whistle mm. before Zayak, uh, before Afalayan even scores the goal yep. and that obviously makes it impossible for VAR to interfere with that um, and I mean obviously at the same time this is something we love like on field decisions um, and I think in a way I can go with that like I, I can see where Jablonski is coming from um, because it looks a bit weird what Afalayan does because he looks back, sees Muheim and his arm goes out. At the same time, what Muheim does out of it because obviously it's his mistake that leads to the alleged goal um, and he like he makes a lot of that scene and normally this is something we do not like um, and that's why I, I can understand where the Pauli fans are angry here. For me, it's it's just a problem. Like it's it's not a VAR problem because obviously the VAR can't interfere uh, because it was an on pitch call. Um, and I can live with that in the end. It, it's a harsh decision, but yeah. So I mean, in the end, uh, in my opinion, the Pauli was a bit lucky that Pacarado wasn't sent off. Um, for when when you have that Yatta goal, um, that Yatta can actually take the shot on goal. 
uh, because I think that could have been something to be overruled by VAR if it doesn't go in, uh, because obviously Yata is, uh, yeah, is is injured in the end. And I and I think you have to say that Pauli didn't lose this because the first goal didn't count. It's more like that they, um, yeah, they have problems with uh, defending their left side, especially in the second half. Uh, they gave way too much room for guys and I mean that that goal from 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 Yatta um I was actually reminded by the goal Yatta scored against Bielefeld because Yatta is very on, on the back post that that's kind of his area of expertise when it comes to to games like this um and obviously they yeah the defending of St. Pauli just wasn't good enough obviously um it all came together with a made its own goal, but yeah, you you just let HSV take over the game too quickly. Obviously, they have plenty of chances afterwards, uh, and statistically, you would might say that Zan probably had more opportunities. But in games like this, um, taking your opportunities is is everything that counts. And I mean, Zan Pauli was in the upside of this for. Uh, for a couple of years or in in a couple of games in in, in this history of derbies in the Zweite Liga, um, where where Hamburg didn't take their chances and St. Pauli came out as winners, but obviously it was it was clear that for for Hamburg they had to win this game. They just had to, um, just going into this weekend, uh, obviously at the same time with a result in Darmstadt in Heidenheim, uh, this would have been a double loss. Um, if they would have not taken all three points out of this game, obviously for them, then a good result. Um, uh, but yeah, I think if we say St. Pauli let Hamburg take this over, uh, taking this game over too easily, at the same time, um, Hamburg kind of failed to really, really put it to an end. Uh, obviously, in a derby, you will never see one side completely back down normally uh for for the rest of the game uh but yeah i mean they were they were a bit lucky in this game as well the made it goal obviously you can still say the one no but all in all um yeah it was uh it was a very very good game to watch it was advertisement for um the zweite liga for this derby and obviously it was also um, for, for players like Jonas David to score his first goal and a wonderful goal, um, this is something that can really give them confidence going forward. That two of their, um, yeah, central defenders scored. And I mean, obviously, this is something I quickly want to touch about. Uh, very early in this game, three of the four defenders, I think, uh, were or of that defensive team were given a yellow card. And Zang Pauli couldn't really play on that, like yeah. forcing. And obviously, if you 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 can you can force a second yellow, this can happen. But obviously, uh, Zang Pauli didn't really play on that. And yeah, in the end, uh, yeah, Hamburg just was the luckier team. They had the, as we say, Spielglück on their side in the end, um, and that's why they won. Yeah, and they made the most of that that spell, that eight minutes real time spell where they just, you know, exploited St. Pauli's defense. And and you look at if you look at each goal individually, the second goal, you know, Mets in particular just kind of leaves the ball when he can intervene. 
Pacarata's not goal side. The third goal was unlucky. You know, Vasil parried it into a, an area where only Haier could get it. Um, and obviously the fourth goal, you know, Medic's just trying to do the right thing. It's just puts it into his own goal. So it, it, it's, it's a massive win for Hamburg. There's no understatement. It gives them breathing space. And now they basically just need to win out if they want to leapfrog Heidenheim for that final promotion spot because it's going to be hard to chase Darmstadt, who themselves also played on Friday night in front of seven, just over 17,500 at the Stadium um, Ballenfeld Tour. But they went behind early, and it was a wonderfully worked out goal by Karlsruhe. Um, great interchange play between Nebel and Schleusner, and Schleusner just somehow got a foot and was able to drag it to, to beat Schuin at the near post. Darmstadt were probably the better side in the first half, and they did get the equalizing goal. Philip Teets just playing through Manu, um, just sliced through the defense, and Manu just did enough to beat the charging Marius Gersbeck. Five minutes into the second half, Darmstadt took their lead, and it was this time it was Teets on the end of it. Schnellart's corner found substitute Patrick Pfeiffer, who in turn, Teets headed on and into the goal. After that, it was pretty much all Karlsruhe, and one player who in particular made sure that that scoreline was not going to get to level pegging was Marcel Schoen. A string of positive goalkeeping um, to deny the likes of Lucas Cueto, and in particular, his, his world-class save to beat Vanit second stoppage time was enough to see Darmstadt secure the three points. As it stands, they are four points clear of Heidenheim, five points clear of Hamburg, with five games remaining, they are in the box seat to gain promotion. It's not understated. It shouldn't be understated that they are one of the they are the best team in the league when it comes to defence. Only twenty four goals conceded, and a lot of that has to do with their goalkeeper Marcel Schuin. Yeah, I would fully agree um, that Schuin was fantastic in this game. Um, I mean, it was a in a way a very typical Darmstadt game when it comes to. You take the lead and then you just let your opponents come um, without doing a lot yourself. Um, they they were too passive. You just saw all the chances they had, or Karlsruhe had through Queto and through uh, Vanitek. Um, but I mean, this is this is what we always say. If you win games like this, where in the end you, it's not the most convincing win probably they had all season um it doesn't matter because the three points stay in darmstadt and uh yeah they are one of the best teams in this season so far they survived that small part of the season in the corner where um they lost two games um were kind of yeah you could say that the injuries were kind of getting to them but in this game uh Tietz was fantastic um Stojkovic was very lively um maybe sometimes a bit too lively uh from time to time uh, he really wanted to get a goal in this game and sometimes it looked a bit too yeah too quick for for the rest of the team or for, too quick for himself even Precision wasn't really key for him 
uh, in parts. But uh, yeah, obviously there was this one scene where Gersbeck was fantastic as well. And yeah, for Karlsruhe, it was just a bit too much for them this game. Um, they they had their moments, but similar to what you could say about Stojkovic, probably Cueto as well a bit. Uh, they couldn't really use that passive Darmstadt side. Um, and then you just, yeah, it, it's just very, very difficult to win against Darmstadt at home or, or in, in at the Bern Tour because they just know what to do at some point. It's like just implemented into their way of playing um, and they deserve to win in the end. And um, obviously it, it makes it a bit more interesting who is going to be the champion of the league uh, because obviously it's so close together and um, yeah for, for Karlsruhe they can just chill out for the rest of the season more or less they have some highlight games coming up at Fortuna Düsseldorf against Hanover and then okay Hodge and Kiel uh, but yeah definitely just games where it's all possible to win uh, and just to give the fans something to look forward to um, and yeah yeah I mean, they they look they've they, they've done it throughout the season. Karlsruhe they've shown signs of a team that can potentially make it to that next level and be a potential top six side. Um, what their strategy is coming into next season, which we assume we believe is going to be a lot younger, um, even though they're gonna. It looks like they're about to add Lars Stindl to the mix. Which, if they can't get Kaufman, um, Mikael Kaufman to to um, if they can't afford Kaufman, you know Stindl is more than adequate replacement, someone with vast Bundesliga experience with Mönchengladbach and, and Hanover. So, you know, they're in a good position and it's just all about capitalising on momentum. And, you know, Darmstadt, they have, you know, in in a lot of sports, they say, if, you know, fence can wins, ga- wins games and defence wins championships. And, you know, to concede only 24 goals from the opening 29 match days is a testament to a side that has had a lot of moving parts in defense this season they've had you know different looks they've had back threes back fours they've had multiple different players um be in the mix and yet still the defense has been rock solid and yes to a point you know Marcel Schoen has been a big reason as to why they have been able to be so stable at the back um and just watching his goalkeeping on the weekend just how positive he is uh, closing down the angles and, and there were times where you know Karlsruhe had one-on-one situations but Schoen was always in, in the best position to to thwart any sort of attack and yeah I mean without putting the mocker on him he, he's you know if we did a team of the season at the moment he would he would easily be the goalkeeper he's been outstanding and you know it's I, I think it's unfortunate that some if you look at some teams um, you know, they they don't have the best goalkeepers, and they question as to why they don't keep clean sheets or they don't concede. You know, even if they don't have the best defense, and yeah, he's been fantastic over a number of years and continues to show that. Another player, another team, I should say, that is in red hot form and and hold service Heidenheim uh, at the Albstadion. They hosted Holstein Kiel in front of twelve thousand, and this game. Well, if you're Kiel or any team traveling to Heidenheim, the worst thing you can do is concede early. So conceding within 90 seconds probably wasn't part of the memo. When Jan-Nicholas Bester's corner found Patrick Meinke for his third goal of the campaign, you knew that Kiel were on the back foot. They did try, 
but try as they might, they really struggled to create anything. This game was all Heidenheim. And the one thing that you also can't do against Heidenheim is leave number 10, Tim Kleindienst, all on his own. And the sec second goal scored was a great example as to why you should defend a guy who's pretty tall and has scored 21 goals prior to this match day. And on 68 minutes, he tapped home a nice easy one from... From, from short range to make it 22 for the season and he's very much on his way to being top scorer in the league. Uh, they got a third goal just seven minutes after that when Tim Sierslieben was fouled in the box by Kwasi Reet. Uh, immediate penalty given by the referee throwing Bad Stubner and Jan Niklas Bester getting into the party of goal scoring to get his ninth goal of the campaign. It's almost boring talking about Heidenheim because it is usual, the usual suspects coming to the party. Bester, Kleindienst, uh, you know, a very strong defensive performance from Heidenheim at home and just clinical in the end. They, they had such control of the game at both ends of the spectrum. And yeah, I mean, that they, they know what they need to do in, in, in gaining automatic promotion. They know they'll be in the top three come the end of the season. Um, but to put away a side like Kiel, who can be quite dangerous on the break in particular with guys like Fabian Reza, um, you know, it was just so clinical. They dispatched Kiel early and, you know, just managed the game. And then when the time came to strike again, they did so. Yeah, I would totally agree. And the thing is with, uh, with this game, obviously Kiel had their chances or their moments through Reza, but what what I thought quite interesting that Heidenheim kind of said, okay, Riese can do whatever you want, but there will be no one he can play to. Like there will be no link to Riese in this offensive midfield position um, to kind of receive the ball. And I thought that was quite interesting to, because Heidenheim gave Kiel a lot of room in midfield, but when it came to them attacking, Riese just couldn't really find a way where to go. Um, I thought after the 1-0, like in, in phases of the game, Kiel looked like they had a just a better tactic going forward. But obviously, as mentioned before, um, they couldn't really break their last barrier of the Heidenheim defense. And um, yeah, Heidenheim gave away chances a bit too easy in the first half, I thought. Uh, there's this one scene where Kleindienst is running... Um, towards the goal and you could just like pick is completely free on the right side and he doesn't really look up but you could see that pick in the end is a bit um disappointed by by climbing some passing over um but yeah in the in the end uh Heinheim did improve their performance in the second half very typical Heinheim, very efficient in the end and yeah they do what they do best and you still have the feeling Frank Schmidt is improving or is giving this team hope every 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 week and he gives them a tiny bit of percent more each week um and that's yeah it's amazing and i think uh i know there's a lot of talk like negative talk about who yeah heidenheim darmstadt going up um with that heidenheim team um i think it's something to look forward to because they have a if they want to, they can really, really play good football. Um, but in the end, they're they're a team that's going to challenge a lot of teams in the Bundesliga, in my opinion, because they just similar to what we said before with with Freiburg and Streich. Um, there's going to be a team that's coming up that has 
uh, yeah, a clear philosophy of playing and they know exactly like it's very easy for them to attract players because from the outside it doesn't seem to be the most attractive place to go. But um, with someone in place like Frank Schmidt who can clearly show everyone what they what he can do with the team um i think that's something you can look forward to and i mean let's be honest the bundesliga is not yeah i don't know um threatened by by clubs like heidenheim who desire to go up but like with with clubs who just don't know what to do in the bundesliga um with going forward and i think that's i mean we're at this point where yeah where what you bring on the pitch matters and for me um Heidenheim deserves to go up because they have been fantastic in the past years uh, and they improve every year and that's something that not every team can say like for example when we quickly touch back to Karlsruhe um, we always say okay they could be in the top six potentially and then they don't because uh, in the end they do not manage to get get the right people in at the same time um, and to fill voids and yeah this is why we're, teams like Heidenheim are above them in the end yeah, and it also helps that, you know, they've had someone who's been with them for such a significant time and in, in, in such a volatile industry such as football management where managers, if they don't get results, they don't last and you see teams constantly changing to find the right guy and even though the right, you know, the right person might be good for the, the short term, the long term might not be viable and it's a great example of a of a club that understands its philosophy, understands where it's come from, and and knows that you know there's no need to change it. You know, it's, they're not a team that has mass resources. They're not a club that has a fifty thousand capacity stadium. They understand what they are. They 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 represent the region as a whole, and you know they've put themselves in a remarkable situation where. You know, even though people might bemoan their, you know, smaller clubs finding their way to the Bundesliga, they've done it on merit. Simple as that. Teams that you know they've they've recruited well, they've made you know, they make they've got smart coaching. They just know when is the time, and they've found the time. And and you know they've come close before. They had that playoff uh, against against Werder, which they lost on away goals. So it's not as if they are, they're a slouch club. They are, they get it. They're a good club. And, and if they go up, you know, they would have deserved it. It was no fluke. Let's take our first break. And on the other side, we'll get to our group two games. Starting at the Max Morlock Stadion, it's Nürnberg and Fortuna Dusseldorf. So Nürnberg on deck, understanding that they needed to get results to avoid being dragged into the relegation zone. Heading into the match day, they were sitting in a very uncomfortable 15th place. 14th place. My math, not very working today. Me, English, very good. Um, so they took on a Dusseldorf side that, you know, had put themselves kind of in the mix just to stay alive. However, with Hamburg's result on the weekend, it on Friday night, it was going to be tough for them to find a way. They didn't help their own cause when early in the first half, they gave up the opening goal. Mats Molodaly's cross was... Well, I don't know how it, how it just got there, but it found Nathaniel Brown and his his driven effort went through a crowd of players and passed Florian Kastenmeier. I would 
I'd love to argue that Carson Meyer didn't see the ball, but when they showed the angle from behind the goal, it seemed like he had a pretty decent line of sight of where the ball was, and I just don't understand why he didn't dive, or I don't know what he did, but, well, actually, I do know what he did. He let the ball go into the back of the net. In a game that was very tight and, you know, sparse on chances, goalkeeping was at a premium, and Peter Vindal, who's had some interesting performance of late, made some pivotal saves down the stretch, in particular denying the likes of David Kovnatsky, who, if rumours are to be true, is on his way to Werder Bremen. As the game continued to progress, Dusseldorf, of course, opened up the tap, hoping that they would find they would strike gold. Instead, they would concede in stoppage time. Pascal Kupka, yep, that's a name we haven't heard for a long time, got out on the break, played a ball across, and Quadwo Dua coming on as a second half substitute, scoring his 10th goal of the campaign, and Nurnberg scoring a vital three points on a weekend where points were so valuable in that scrap to avoid the drop. It means that they move up to 13th, lucky for some, not others, on 33 points, while Dusseldorf drop down to 6th. That's right, they do drop down to 6th. So, big wing for Hecking's revive. We did see things like Hecking after winning an important game for them. A surprisingly solid defensive performance for them. First clean seat since match day 24. That was against Braunschweig. And yeah, they might have found someone in Nathaniel Brown. They've got guys like Janis Horn, Tim Hanverker, both guys who have got Bundesliga experience at left back. And we saw uh, Horn playing as a left centre back on the weekend in a back three. But, you know, Brown's very much established himself as a potential not option for the rest of the season, but also someone that they can go with uh, for the future. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, he he has been slowly working his way into this team and um, finally got his first goal. I mean, he had, a, he had good weeks in the past, but really hadn't really had that final precision. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic goal to, to get his score sheet started for Nuremberg. And um, yeah, what I was surprised with is Nuremberg has seven changes in their lineup. Uh, and sometimes you can see that with easy mistakes, um, like in build-up or just when you're trying to 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 break forward, that there, yeah, some some things just don't add up. But I didn't really think that was the case here. I mean, um, Newark was obviously very efficient, but Dusseldorf didn't really have an answer uh, to everything, kind of. Um, they. Klaus was something obviously they were looking for. Um, I thought he was a bit too selfish in in moments uh, of the game, um, and then obviously they just couldn't break Vindal when needed. Um, and yeah, what I thought was yeah the the bigger problem for Dusseldorf, especially in the second half, that they're pressing when when Nürnberg was in possession was nearly non-existent it was not really existent in the like the last line for Nürnberg but especially when Nürnberg came forward um I thought they gave them way too much room uh the, there's this one scene where Brown and Tempeman can only score the the second um and yeah in, in my opinion I mean it's still, I think, if you just look at, at the points, it's still possible. But for me, this was more or less the final nail in the coffin. 
um, for Dusseldorf's promotion hopes um, in the end. Um, it's just not a performance you want to have when you get promoted. And yeah, it's it just wasn't enough. And they just, like when we talk about the other three sides who picked up points, even though they were not the better team, um, Dusseldorf just had too many games where they gave it away. And this was one of them. And this is what I said before, that for them, um, it's not good that they play teams that still have something to play for, especially in that relegation spot where they're at this point where they say, OK, we have nothing to lose or everything to lose at the same time. Um, it's something that Dusseldorf had has problems with, has had. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that came out of this game was just the lack of urgency, especially when they went down. It was very timid, um, almost as if they were afraid to get opened up again, and just the off-the-ball stuff was a bit was a bit poor. Uh, when they wanted to, to, to ramp the intensity up, it was, you know, they were asking too much for the time that was left in the game, and they the, the one real chance Nurnberg got to, to split them open. They did and, and, and put the game to bed. So yeah, look, it's a learning experience for them. You know, next season, the expectations are going to be even higher than they were this year, uh, depending on who drops from the Bundesliga. And, you know, it's going to be another tough task for them to, to, to try and gain promotion. But yeah, uh, they've got Karlsruhe on the weekend. Uh, Nurnberg have got the top spiel game against Hanover which could be a really interesting or not interesting game, depending on how you see it. A Dieter Hacking Cup matchup. Uh, let's move on to what was the t- the, uh, the primetime game for match day 29, a relegation battle between Eintracht Braunschweig and Magdeburg. Both sides in desperate needs of points. Braunschweig hoping to make it three on the bounce. Magdeburg were beaten last time out, and they were very, very poor against Sandhausen. They got off to a great start, though, when they opened the scoring on 22 minutes. Moritz Bruni Quartang with an excellent bit of skill to, to send Kurache the wrong way and then put the ball through the legs of Ron Torben Hoffman. Both teams traded chances, but ultimately there was nothing to find in the first half. The second half, however, brought the, ga- the, goal's best, the, goals, the game's best goal when substitute Tatsuyo Ito, who'd been on the pitch for a minute, if that, Cuts in on his right-hand side and absolutely laces one off the crossbar and in one a candidate for goal of the season without question and his fourth goal of the campaign. However, that advantage lasted all but seven minutes. Maurice Multop's uh, driven cross found Anthony Uja, who was able to redirect the ball into the back of the net. However, Braunschweig just weren't able to encapsulate the magic to find an, e- an, e- an equalizing goal and they succumbed to defeat. Magdeburg's win means that they are in a really good position, 12th in the standings, and they are seven points clear of Jan Regensburg in 16th. Let's discuss. It was um, not your typical Magdeburg game. They didn't have as much possession as you would expect them to have in a game against a side that will look to hit you on the break. But they were super opportunistic. They had to defend very resolutely, and they did for majority of the game. And um, yeah, they've put themselves in a position that they haven't experienced in the Svarta Bundesliga, which is they're in a great position to survive. 
Yeah, I would agree. And I think uh, it's quite as interesting what you said about the whole possession part because I thought it was a very clever idea of Christian Tietz, if it was an idea, uh, to give Braunschweig a bit more of that possession because Braunschweig didn't know what to do with it. Obviously, mm-hmm. it led to Magdeburg not having the same amount of of chances they would have if they were the team with more possession. But, I mean, they were very efficient. And at the same time, Braunschweig just didn't know what to do. There was so many phases of the game where Braunschweig had the ball and they just didn't really know where to go with it. it they were, although they had possession, they were too passive. It sounds a bit weird, but they, it's just... And then they made too many mistakes. Like you, you had that uh, uh, Kuruchai misplaced pass, which led to the Ita goal. And I think it's it's third goal as coming on as a joker, if I'm correct. Like this is something he really proved to be mm-hmm. idle for for Magdeburg. And obviously that's something you want to have as a team that's in that relegation fight to to the players to come off the bench. To have an impact, obviously. Um, and yeah, with Braunschweig, even in the end, it, it looks like it was a close game. But for me, it isn't because Magdeburg looked like they were closer. Bert Bell, who hits the woodwork in the end. Um, and Braunschweig just did too less. Uh, Uja obviously was always the center of attention. But around him, like a bit similar to what I said about Riese in the, in the Kia game, was could be said in my opinion about Uja in the Braunschweig game because it was not really a way around him um, and he was the sole centre of attention he got his goal obviously but um, yeah although Braunschweig improved which was obviously necessary from the first half um, it just wasn't enough because obviously they put themselves in a position um, where they were already two goals down at that point um, and yeah, in the end, deserved win for Magdeburg. And uh, yeah, I think especially that Ito goal was fantastic because it does. It's not only the goal itself, but the way he puts himself in the position to score the goal was fantastic as well. Uh, and he has a very good, yeah, a very good understanding um, of how to put himself in that position. And I'm, yeah, if he. So that's one of the players going to be interested if he if he stays at Magdeburg or if he even moves on to a team that might be in the upper half because obviously it always depends on which team you play but I think he um, he's relatively young it's always difficult to say in, in, in football I guess uh, I think he's 25 uh, so not too young but still with potential to to improve um, and he's I think he's something who could be like in in a potential Düsseldorf team, etc., that that could play a role. Just in my opinion. Yeah, I, 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 I can't see it happening. I think his best football has been throughout his career has been played under Christian Tietz, the Hamburg side that eventually got relegated, and the early portion. Um, Ito was really lively um, when he could sort of, sort of broke out of the scene, and then he then he went to Belgium and didn't really work out for him, and then came back to 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 play with Tietz and Magdeburg and really um, I just think that that sometimes when you're at a club and it just works uh, with a manager that you trust it's it's hard to to move on so I mean if, if the, the opportunity pre- presents itself fair enough but I, I think for Ito 
uh, he understands his role and he's got a coach that seriously believes in him and it gets the best out of his skill set and quality. I think, um, you know, Braunschweig certainly got a lot better when, when Kaufman and Fry came on. Fry, they're obviously working back in um, from injury. Um, but yeah, and, and they certainly, they seemed a little bit more uh, diverse going forward when they switched to um they they took they took Baron out as well and they got a bit more aggressive and um put the pressure on but yeah they just couldn't find that goal and yeah it's uh it was a big loss for Braunschweig and it you know they still have that four point buffer to Regensburg uh but they're they're aware that their game on the weekend against Paderborn on Friday night is a big one and if teams below them pick up points then they will be dragged right back in to that zone. Speaking of teams that are in that are in the vicinity of that zone, Armenia Bielefeld, they hosted Hanover on the weekend uh, on a Saturday afternoon at the Bielefeld Arm. One of significance for the club as they celebrated with that special troikit, which actually looked better on the pitch, like the typography they went with. Very classy, looked very nice, uh, and uh, and the keeper kit also was quite nice in the all white setup. Very rare to see that, but. Um, but they didn't start particularly well in this game. Uh, I would say Guillaume, uh, Ramos overplaying a situation, trying to keep the ball forward when he probably could have just kicked it out of play. Ball was turned over. Schwab, Toykert, 1-0. And it was another thunderbolt. Another goal that cracked off the crossbar and in. Another potential goal of the season candidate. It was a rocket and poor Martin Frazel, who probably didn't even see it because it went that quickly. Bielefeld then started to get back into business. They got their equaliser just eight minutes later. Uh, initial shot from Lucas Klunter was stopped by Phil Neumann. And, well, if he'd left it, it was going to be a goal. His uh, his attempted stop went straight to Fabian Klaus. And Klaus said, thank you very much. I'll have my sixth goal of the season. It wouldn't be a Bielefeld game if it wasn't for them hitting the post. And their next chance fell to Robin Huck, who, of course, hit the post. And then the big, the big contention of the game uh, on 42 minutes when uh, initially not given, but with the video assistant referee, a penalty was given against Mark Tchaikovsky when he was adjudged to have handled the ball. Toykert scores from the spot, 2-1 at the break. And then a third goal for Hanover just, seven, just 10 minutes into the second half. Louis Sharp just marauding his way through the Bielefeld defence and trickling the ball past Frazel and 3-1 is your final score. Lytle survives another day and he may actually get to the end of the season. A vital win for him. 37 points for Hanover, which means that they are... They're probably safe with five games to go. It would take a, a monumental collapse and teams below them to somehow pick up points at a rapid rate to do that. Uh, the one thing that kind of stands out for me under Uwe Koshner is they are, yes, a better attacking team. However, defensively, they are the same sort of problems. 14 goals conceded from six games, winless in their last three, no clean sheet since November. That was a 2-0 win against Paderborn. So, the team that has hit the post 16 times more than anyone this season, it must be really frustrating going to the stadium, knowing that they're, they're actually playing some good attacking football. But defensively, that doesn't. It, it almost it doesn't matter who they put in the back four. They're an absolute. They just become a mess. And situational defending is really not Bielefeld's strength, and it showed once again. 
Yeah, and the, the thing is, like, with especially Kigamosh, um, he's a young player and the love, like, is just always, uh, he, he is between brilliance and madness mm. in playing. Like, he had 28 duels won in this game. He, in general, is, like, his interceptions, his clearances are being celebrated like goals because you kind of feel that this, this team needs the cheer on defensive actions as well as offensive actions. But, yeah, as you've mentioned before, the 1-0, Kunzburg then against, I think it's Bayer, he doesn't really intercept him. And then, yeah, the problem with Teuchert, he just has too much room and we know that. And he scored in the in the first leg um, against us as well. Um, it was just too easy again, and it always always puts you in this position where you have to come back. Um, and it worked once or twice, more or less. It worked once with a win and once with getting a point back in the end against Darmstadt and Düsseldorf. Um, just gonna should just play teams with the letter D in it. Maybe that that will help. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. So weird because you can see there are a lot of good things happening, but at the same time, they just you can see that this team is so not believing in themselves. Mm-hmm. Like with the woodwork, um, Bielefeld was better for me when it after the one one. Uh, you had that chance twice, the chance to hug, and then the thing with the penalty for me is just to know what Tchaikovsky can do. He turns away and then again, it's the it's the thing with Kamka sees it, says no. Then he gets, and it, it once again takes like four minutes mm. to give that a handball. And once again, and this is actually the same with a red card against Lewis in the end. For me, you should see that on the pitch. That's a red card because it's, if Kamka sees it's a foul, then he sees the contact and that's Lewis' leg or foot or whatever being not only above the ankle, but like near the stomach. And that's something you cannot not see. And this is something we've learned. Contacts over the ankle normally is always a straight red. So the thing is, that took four minutes as well again. We had... In total, I think we had 10 minutes of edit time and all that because of VAR and decisions in the end that shouldn't be. Like, how VAR was implemented, you get, if you did something wrong, you get like, okay, this was hand and stuff. But this is, once again, for me, it felt like a do-over for the referee on the pitch. Mm. Uh, And I'm normally, I do like Robert Kampke normally. um, think he's one of the better referees, but in in, in that game, it just... It doesn't help. It doesn't help if referees keep going out to look at the scenes again. And we, like, nine out of ten times, this is what we said last week, we know it's going to be um, an overall decision. And I just don't think this is how VAR should work. And it's especially when it takes, like, four minutes, um, if it's handball or not. And, I mean, they, they're talking about new implemented rules once again, where I think those this is what makes the handball will complete obsolete for me in total um and it just overcomplicates that game it just overcomplicates football football is a rather easy sport to play 
Um, just don't overcomplicate it too much. Once again, do believe in the technology, but I'm at that stage where when technology is being used like that, I don't believe in the technology anymore as well. Um, I mean, it was similar to the offside goal with Kunze. That mm. took Way too long. three minutes as well. This mm. is like, then we have to start with stopping the clock like we do in handball and stuff. Then, because yeah. otherwise it's just... Because you would, you can never add that time perfectly, yeah. and yeah, obviously in the end, Hanover was efficient. Where Bielefeld was not. It's their first away game win since September. You're welcome. Um, and obviously, yeah, sixteen woodwork hits. It's. I was actually in the open training yesterday. It was actually quite interesting. We were, last time I visited was when Uli Forte was still coach. I was worlds between that. Wow. It was actually quite interesting how um, Koshinat instructed that team. Um, something I, if, if you ever wonder how that works and you have the opportunity to go to open trainings uh, in times like this, I would highly uh, recommend because yeah, my, my favorite part of the, the game was, or the training was when Koshinat stood like half a meter away from Klunter and screamed at him. Um, Clinton, you're the fastest man on earth if you want to be. Just do it. It's like German German the flesh. Uh, it was actually quite funny. But yeah, I think uh, sometimes it's quite interesting to see how people actually train. Um, yeah, well, they do say you train as you play, right? I mean, so. But yeah, uh, they've got a big game on the weekend. They're at St. Pauli on Saturday afternoon and we may have someone coming on the podcast next week with real interest in everything St. Pauli. Let's take our final break, and on the other side, we'll discuss the teams in the bottom three, how they got on in our Group 3 games, and we're going to start at the Oshtzee Stadion when Hansa Rostock hosted Greuther Fürth. It's been a long time since Hansa Rostock has tasted the sweet, delicious beverage of victory, but they were hoping on match day 29 that they would break their duck against a Greuther Fürth side that has started to get it going two wins in a row for them heading into the weekend but a tricky test in Rostock we spoke about it in the Magdeburg game about how Christian Tietz sort of played with a little bit less possession and made Braunschweig have to instigate and a similar game plan was kind of constituted here not often do you see a home team give up so much possession uh, and not I think this is the first time Fjord have actually managed 60 plus percent possession all season and it showed with their sometimes lack of ideas and inability to break down a defence that has given up a lot of goals this season. Despite no one finding the back of the net in the first half, Hansa would actually open the scoring in the second. Marcus Kolker's long ball to Kai Pruger really was poorly defended. And then a moment of absolute brilliance from Niels Fruling. His pile-driving effort just continued to rise and rise and rise as Andreas Linder rose and then fell. 1-0 after 50 minutes. It would be 2, just 16 minutes later. Pruger again. This time, Furt just unable to just contain Pruger's dangerousness as he got to the byline, whipped it back in, and Dennis Dressel, who was unbelievably good in this game, made it 2, 4 for the season for him, and for the first time since match day 20, they kept a clean sheet, and also the first time they had one. If you want to guess who that team is, I'll let you have a guess now because I want to live through the end of this podcast. So, 
a big win for Rostock. There's not a whole lot we can say about Furt. They they offered too little, even with Hugorda back in the lineup. They just didn't have the bits and pieces to get it done. But for Rostock, a vital win for them. It means they're tied on points with Jan Regensborg. Only goal difference separates the two sides. And when you look at the final few games remaining, all three teams that we're going to talk about in the bottom three, they all face each other in the next month. And this is exactly where, in my opinion, the race to avoid the drop will be won or or lost. And for Rostock, a team that you know haven't won since February, this was a vital step in the right direction. Yeah, I think uh, Rostock fans counted days, counted miles, uh, and it has been a long time coming for them with the win. Um, yeah, I mean they. We talked about food in the past that um, they won games where, especially in the first half, they didn't really were up to the task. But food in this game was just. I don't know. I mean, obviously, with the whole Acha being taken off the pitch, and I mean, it, it looks like he cannot play against Heidenheim. Um, and obviously, Asher not being one on one. Yeah, stand in for him. Um, it, it was a very difficult game. Obviously, it, both managers had to change quite early due to different reasons. Obviously, just said why Ache had to be taken off. Frudo was very, very lucky to just get away with a yellow card uh, in the early stages of the game. I think could could have been more. Uh, it's not a clear mistake, but I think if. The referee would have decided um, this is a red card. Don't think the VAR would have overruled that. Um, yeah, so in general, the the game after that was just not good to watch. And then obviously what you mentioned, fantastic goal by Fröling. Um, it has been something Rostock, like you had Dressel before and now Fröling, um, where they're kind of finding their strength because they just have problems coming into the box has been a problem all season. Um, yeah, and then uh, Fjord is just not expecting what happens um, in that scene. And uh, you, you had that one chance through Zeeb and I think Kogota where uh, Kolke save amazing save. If you, if you just look, I think Rosbach just wants to take him and I don't know what to do with him, hack him into whatever. Um and yeah, it was the first time since match day two that Fruit hasn't scored a goal uh, in a game, um, which cool. also long time coming. Um, and but yeah, in my opinion, they didn't really deserve to to score a goal in this game either. And obviously, perfect result for for Rostock. Obviously, with um, taking everything into account with uh, with the Nuremberg win, especially Bielefeld not winning, Magdeburg winning, Braunschweig not winning and stuff. And obviously the result in Regensburg as well and in Sandhausen, that was, um, yeah, a, a perfect result for him and something they can definitely look forward to when they, as you've just mentioned, play in the end against Regensburg and Sandhausen yeah. after they played Petzl. Yeah, I mean, they've got Kaiserslautern first up and that will be a very well attended game even though Loughton have got nothing to play for at this point in the season um, but picking up points is just vital that's that's the name of the game when you're trying to avoid the drop and you know for a team that hasn't done a lot of it with you know, a third manager in charge and someone who 
has done it before in rescuing sides from the depths of relegation. He did it with Sandhausen last season. So he's got recent credentials, at least, on his resume. Um, so it, it will be fascinating to see, but they did everything right in this game. And, you know, one of Furt's strengths is their ability to press the ball. And uh, it's hard to press the ball when you actually have to possess it. Um, so that was quite fascinating in how uh, Alias Schwartz actually used one of Zorniger's Red Bull strengths to his uh, against him. It was good, really good coaching, and and he he benefited from it with 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 um, Rostock doing something they haven't done often this season, which was score. So yeah, uh, let's move to Zanhausen, the Hartvold Stadion. Welcomed Paderborn, uh, Paderborn knowing that they could. They were within touching distance if they could win here, and it certainly looked as if they were going to be on the right track. On 19 minutes, Florent Moslier with a wonderful free kick. Just something that you could get lost in the moment with. A ball that was just doing all sorts of things that a ball shouldn't be doing, and poor Patrick Drew is just... He knew it. I think he knew the moment that Moslier hit it that he was no chance, and 1-0, and then Moslier assisting the second goal... Playing in Maximilian Rohr, who's chip, and that was like a for people who play golf, it was like hitting a um, a nice wedge, looping it over, and somehow snuck under the crossbar. And after 27 minutes, you felt, well, this game is going as almost expected. Paderborn cruising, and Sandhausen really needing to find solutions, but they did find those solutions. Uh, four minutes later, Kemal Ademi, who they brought in in the summer to score goals, managed his first goal of the campaign, one that he would have appreciated against his former club. And then after the break, they got an equalizing goal. Frank Avina, who has been almost a golden child for them coming off the bench, his fourth goal of the campaign. And uh, even though Paderborn did come close on several occasions, they weren't able to find that game-winning goal. For me, this perfectly encapsulated what Paderborn's gone through this season. At times, they've looked untouchable and a team that could easily be in the top three. Yet, they had phases where, where Sandhausen weren't really threatening. They found ways to concede goals. It's really difficult to find a position on this one where Sandhausen in particular, who we'll focus on, you know, they were comfortably dominated. They didn't have a lot of the ball, which is which is fine. But they were super efficient going forward. If you have six shots on goal for the entire game and you score twice, that's a massive bonus. And you know when those chances did come um, through Ademi and Ivina, they managed to take them. Yeah, and I really want to point out the the person who gave both assists, and that was Zane. Um, I think he was fantastic in this game when needed. The way he intercepts before the one-two. Uh, but also how he has the overview for the for the second goal. Um, I thought it was very important for Zantalzen and it's a player they were hoping to keep. Maybe I don't know if if that's possible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously it was the first time of in in three years they Zantalzen comes back after um, a two nil or being two nil down. But um, yeah, I think. Lucas Kvasniok was not happy at all with this result. Um, the yeah, the quotes you could read after that game were not flattering in any way or, or holding something back. Um, I mean, obviously you you are a bit lucky in how you you get the free kick because it's just completely stupid. What what damage does there? Um, 
and obviously with the second goal as well was Chananulu. It's, it's it looks quite funny though how he tries to push his away platter and then it's the typical I got the ball I got the ball no you got the player you don't get the ball <laughs> the ball is still there not if you push the player away it doesn't help um, yeah it's, I mean they they didn't have so many opportunities to score third or even the fourth. Um, I had the feeling that you could see that Leipzig is still kind of finding his way back into this team, like something he it was natural for him to do, scoring goals. Uh, he had problems with in this game, um, just from the I would say easiest of positions. He just looked at some stage, he just looked completely mm. done with himself uh, and done with the game. And uh, yeah, something Sandhausen did well in this game. I thought was they're both recoveries, like how the one first goal happened but in general that's something they they waited and that's something obviously you do when you have under 30 percent position uh you wait for recoveries for intercepted balls um and i thought that they were obviously in the end one point is just not enough but obviously better than losing uh but that's something they um they've done well in this game yeah and, and for them, you know, four points from their last two games. Uh, they have the biggest of games coming up this weekend. They've got um, Jan Regensburg in what could be a very decisive game, especially for them, being that they are three points adrift of Rostock and, and Regensburg. Like, they need the three points before they take on Braunschweig and Hansa Rostock. So all three, their next three games are all against sides that are battling the drop. So... They've got to bring the intensity. They can be fish. They've shown they can be efficient in, in front of goal. They've found Avino, who is a former Bayern junior, didn't really work out at um, Hanover. Had his moments at Udigen. Um so he's he's you know, he's been travelled, but he, he's he's shown some good moments for them. And when they've needed him to stand up, especially in the, uh, you know since he joined in the Rook Runder, they've they've been able to get the most out of him. So it will be fascinating those next three games. Paderborn, they've got Eintracht Braunschweig on Friday um, before they take on Hamburg and Heidenheim. And finally, let's talk about Regensburg. We haven't just left them last and not least because they're 16th. It was just they played a 0-0 draw, a very defensive game that neither team really was able to find the, uh, the golden ticket to enter the chocolate factory. Both teams had their best chances late in the game. Um... And that was basically when Regensburg went down to 10 men when Benedict Saller was sent off for his challenge on Jean Zimmer. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, there were, there might have been contact. It did seem a bit minimal, but the action was pretty was pretty pish. It was, I don't know what he was doing there. And uh, Florian Lechner had no hesitation. I think Saller was more surprised that he was sent off. He was like, me, me, red card? No. And everyone in the stadium, especially at the Kaiserslautern, were like, yeah, that's a red card. You can go away. Their best chance fell on 84 minutes. Uh, Henrik Zuck finding Philip Herscher. And uh, when it seemed easier just to put the ball on target, Herscher's header skyrocketed over the bar. But the best chance of the game was in the one that almost would have won goal of the season. Fell to Prince Awusu, who laced a ball on his left. And Andreas Luder pulled off what a, a, a well, it was a remarkable save to keep the goal to keep the score goalless and uh, 
Yeah, that was your game. There's really not a whole lot to talk about this game. The conference did everything they could to just not go to this game. Um, they even even though they uh, they had an additional reporter at the stadium, um, they were promoting the uh, 2023 Special Olympics, I think, which was very cool. They had a, a Yan fan who, um, you know, was talking. They got uh, her to interview the president of Yan, and, and that was actually quite nice how they they set that one up. But in general. Um, you know, it's a point for Regensburg. Um, their their big games are next week and the week after. They get to play Zanhausen and Hansa Rostock before playing Hamburg. Um, both of those games that they play against Zanhausen and Rostock are away. So big tests for a team that has been fleeting at best. But there was a big scene we should talk about earlier on. Well, uh, midway through the second half, there was contact between Andreas Albers and Henrik Zuck in the box. Some thought maybe that could have been a penalty. What do you think? I do not think that's enough for a penalty. I mean, I wouldn't surprise. We, we've seen weird penalties this season. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't enough for me to overrule the decision on the pitch at all. Um yeah, I don't really know what to, what to say about that game. For Kaiserslautern, it was very evident that mm. Terence Boyd was missing, although he hasn't been their favorite goal scorer in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, still his presence makes a huge difference, and you could really, really see that this was missing from that game. Um, and they didn't really know where to go. And obviously, um, Dick Schuster wasn't happy with that either, so he brought on three new players at half time, but yeah, that still didn't really work. Um and yeah, in the end Kreingsburg had the better chances for me. They were probably if I would have to choose a team to win, who would have deserved it, it would would have been Ringsburg. But that like I mean that has been Ringsburg problem in the past. Um that they just couldn't use their <laughs> dominance or just the the mm. advantage um over the other team on on in the end on the scoreboard and I think it only really happened in that game against Paderborn where they could use that um I just in the end just mm, not enough the red card for Zala yeah I think the contact is there um I think Zima makes a lot out of it which is it's ironic because Sima is one of the players who, in my opinion, lies on the ground for the majority of the time, or he fouls. Um, so this is something you more concentrate than on him being a decent football player. Okay, it's just my personal opinion. Um, yeah, I think for for Ringsburg, it just doesn't help. It just doesn't help because other teams picked up points and they didn't in a game where they could have and probably should have. And obviously, as you just mentioned, Hansa Rostock, um, uh, Sandhausen, Hansa Rostock away. Um, we are playing at the Ostsee Stadion. It's never easy. Obviously, Sandhausen, we, we just spoke about them. And then obviously, Hamburg, um, which, yeah, I mean, that has been an interesting match in the past or just... Yeah, but I just don't do not see how they want to win against them at the moment. And yeah, for Kaiserslautern, they they can just they have some mm. highlight games really coming up as well. Rostock at home, um, Nuremberg away, always a nice travel. Um, if it's out on a Friday night, and then uh, against Arminia Bielefeld at home. Um, and yeah, that's 
that's their season done, which has been a, a very good season, um, over the top season, and they can get together and look what they want to play for next season. Yeah, that's the thing, strategizing what their team's going to look like and what are the goals. I mean, they've obviously outkicked the coverage this season, and next season, you know, we'll see what they bring to the table. Big games for Jan, their season very much on the line. Uh, and if they can get results against Zanhausen and, and, and Rostock, they'll certainly better their position um, and where they could finish come the end of the season. Uh, we also look at our kick tip. After match day 29, Alex still leads. Almost, if, if you were a betting person, you could cash out because it's looking very clear that they're going to win. 343 points. Aurora Oz? I'm going to say Oz. I want to claim them as an Australian regardless. A win for them. Uh, they top scored with the weekend. Um, in what was looked like it was going to be a high-scoring uh, weekend of football, but Sunday in particular put a red herring in a lot of people's scores. That's it for us for another week. Thank you for joining us. Um, we'll be back again on Wednesday to discuss everything from Match Day 30. So we hope you have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the football, and we'll see you next time when the Spider Bullets League returns. Yeah.